What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and have not works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding you give them not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. And Father, we thank you that you call us to good works and help us to, to hear from you today as we open up your word. And we're so grateful for the word of God. It just brings life to us, Lord, life to our very being, life to our soul. And help us to just dive in today and receive all that you would have for us, please. You've given us so much, and I can't help but think of the greatest gift of all, and that is the gift of your son, Jesus Christ, willingly laying his life down on a cross, suffering and a torturous death and becoming our sin, that we would become your righteousness. I know we have none on our own, but in Christ we have it all. Praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 You may be seated, and good morning, everyone. And thank you so much, uh, for being here today, and I know that uh, you guys are praying for us as we travel this coming Tuesday. We're leaving early to head down to Tennessee, and it's really a very special time for us because uh, our whole family will be there, all of our children and all the grandchildren, Lord willing. So Kevin and Ashley are hosting Thanksgiving at their house, and it's 20-some-odd people, just, just us, so we're grateful. Amen. We're grateful, and it, I'm bringing earplugs with me. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, that uh, the 22nd, which is Tuesday, is the day we're going to be arriving, God willing. And it's one year ago that our precious granddaughter, Isla, was diagnosed with leukemia. And it's also uh, two years since the entire family's been together. And within that two years, there's, there's two cancer survivors in our family. Our daughter, Erin, who is healed, praise God, and Isla... Little Isla, she's going to be five in January, and she's doing great. And, you know, many, many prayers of, of faithful folks like you. We're so grateful for you and thankful for the prayers that you've offered up, uh, not only to them, but for us too. A difficult season in our life, to be sure, but God is glorified, and God is to be praised. So we're excited. We're really excited, so keep us in prayer as we travel, too. I'm grateful the snow came last week rather than this week. <laughs> yeah, so. Pray it stays away. <laughs> hey, family, we're in uh, Acts chapter 9, continuing on in this incredible account of the early church, and there's just so much uh, in, in the book of Acts that we've seen so far, and we've got quite a long ways to go. But today we're going to be examining and studying verses 31 through 42. And the title of today's message is Faithful in Good Works. And we're going to look at uh, a woman who was faithful in good works, and we're going to see what we can learn from her. But as we pick up this morning, remember Paul, the apostle, of course, post-conversion, he 
He had been sent to Tarsus by the disciples. Actually, God's plan that the disciples had followed. And there in Tarsus, the Bible is, is silent about those about 10 years that he was there. And we know one thing for sure. We know that God was preparing Paul for the ministry that would lie ahead. But something seemingly odd took place after Paul went to Tarsus, and we see this in verse 31. Odd only from one respect, you'll see it in just a minute. After he left now, then had the churches rest throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria, and were edified in walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost, and they were multiplied. Now with Saul away, it says that the churches prospered. Now doesn't that sound a little bit odd? Doesn't it seem a bit strange to you? You would have thought that the churches would have flourished in a greater way with this ministry to this mighty man of God with them. But remember, the Jews wanted to kill him. Attempts were made on his life. The, the Pharisees hated him. So perhaps the Christians concluded maybe it's better to go elsewhere for a time. Well, and so did God. God thought that was best too. So he's in Tarsus for around 10 years. The church is thriving. And there's a couple of things to note here when we talk about a thriving church. It tells us here in this verse that the church was, was edified. They were, that word edified means built up or strengthened. Well, how does that take place? Well, they were purified and refined by the power of the Holy Spirit through his anointing word, and they, they set themselves upon the rock, upon a foundation, Jesus Christ. And when we as, as Christians, as individuals, as we grow in, individually as, in maturity, you know, the whole body grows together in maturity too. Peter the Apostle talked about this in 1 Peter 2, verses 4 and 5. He said, To whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious, ye also as lively stones or living stones are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood. So as we grow together in, in holiness, in maturity, then, then the body of Christ is built up. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through 22, Paul wrote this, Now therefore ye are no more citizens and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints, and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for a habitation of God, through the Spirit. So, you know, you and I, we're fitly joined, the Bible tells us here. Holy Spirit of God places us right here, right now, joined together, fitting perfectly that this house, the house of God, would be edified or built up. So this edification that, that's taking place in the early church is because of those very things. God was putting it all together. Now, the second thing that, that we see here and the church was prospering and multiplied, it says they were walking in the fear of the Lord. There is no substitute for walking in the fear of the Lord. Now what does this mean to us? It means to keep a tender conscience. 
that you and I would have a sensitivity of the conviction of the Holy Spirit, which means we're not to grieve the Holy Spirit. We're, we're not to close our ears or our heart to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And it means to have a healthy respect and reverence for the Word of God. We, we value the Word of God. We must value We must esteem the Word of God. For God says, I esteem it even greater than my own name. We need the Word. We need to live the Word. We're to believe what the Scriptures say and embrace the Scriptures as if God is speaking personally to you. Why? Because He is. He speaks very personally to us through the Word of God. So we're, we're to allow him to grab our attention when he's reaching to us and say, not say well, that's for somebody else. No, it's, it's for us. We have to look at the scriptures that way. That is for me to embrace, to live, to enjoy, and, and to allow God to work his work in my life. And reading the word of God and studying the word of God and, and the fear of the Lord means that we dread to offend the Lord as our good Father. It hurts when we sin, or it ought to hurt when, it sins, when we sin, shouldn't it? It should grieve our spirit so that we don't want to do that anymore. We want to please our Father. And you see, without a healthy fear of the Lord, we can never walk circumspectly or carefully. It'd be like walking through a field that has traps in it. You know, we need this healthy fear of the Lord so we can walk with our eyes open and we can see the things around us and we can navigate this life in accordance with God's word. It means we're able to identify the traps the enemy has set or the, the seduction of worldliness. We need to be able to separate because we don't belong here, do we? Oh, we're just wanderers. We're, we're pilgrims. But we know that we have a home in heaven. And we are citizens of heaven, praise God. Yes, we're citizens of this country. But this is temporal, very temporal. And our heavenly home is eternal. Proverbs 9, verse 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. So we see the early church was being built up, edified. They were walking in the fear of the Lord. And the third thing, they were walking in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Well, how can we walk in the comfort of the Holy Spirit? Well, remember what Jesus said. He said, I'm going to send the Comforter. In John 14, verse 16, And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another Comforter, that he may abide with you forever. So the comfort of the Holy Spirit was, was evidenced in their walk, those in the early church. And notice something with me. When they walked in the fear of the Lord, then they walked in the comfort of the Holy Ghost. That's comforting to walk in the fear of the Lord. It's unavoidable. When the church is edified, when the church walks in the fear of the Lord, and we walk obediently, we find our comfort, well, we find it in the Scriptures, and we find it from the Comforter who teaches us through the, through the Word of God. Now, at this point, after verse 31, we're going to find now that the focus shifts, and the focus shifts to the Apostle Peter. Again, Paul is away. He's, he's in Tarsus. So here we see the restored Apostle Peter ministering. He, he spreads his wings out, so to speak, a little bit. And left Jerusalem, he traveled throughout this region. And here in this section of the Scripture, there's two, two accounts in two different cities. The city of Lydda, 
in the city of Joppa. So let's look at verses 32 through 34. And it came to pass, as Peter passed throughout all quarters, he came down also to the saints which dwelt at Lydda. And there he found a certain man named Aeneas, which had kept his bed eight years and was sick of the palsy. And Peter said unto him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ maketh thee whole. Arise and make thy bed. And he rose immediately. Notice there were already saints in Lydda. It was a result of, of Philip's preaching. We're told in verse 33, there's a man living there and his name Aeneas, and not much is said about him. But it's generally believed he was a Jew. He was paralyzed. Verse 33 tells us that he was paralyzed for eight years, sick of the palsy, which means he was a, par a, a paralytic. That's a long time, you know, to be bedridden and unable to move. So as you think about this man, he's just lying there, and his existence, well, not only isolation, but also very, very painful, a painful life. And Peter, of course, he encounters Aeneas, and again, he said these words, Aeneas, Jesus Christ maketh thee whole, arise and make thy bed, and he rose immediately. Clearly, the Holy Spirit has spoken to Peter, and he gave Peter a word of wisdom and the gift of faith, just like Peter was given in Acts chapter 3. Acts 3, verses 6 and 7, it says, Then Peter said, remember, the man that was outside the gate, beautiful, he said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I, I have give I thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and his ankle bones received strength. So here Peter received this word from God, a word of wisdom, and also the, the, the faith that he had in order to do what he did in commanding this man to stand up and walk. He made him whole. Now there's no evidence here that Aeneas even knew Peter. There's no evidence that Peter knew him. It is the working of God's Holy Spirit through Peter before the miracle occurs. And the gift in Aeneas' life as he has healed is two, twofold. Yes, there's the gift of miracles and the gift of healing. And all of this is a demonstration of God's power and the fact that Jesus, he's alive and well. When Peter said to Aeneas, Jesus maketh thee whole, the miracle is intended to be a kind of sermon that communicates that Jesus Christ is alive. He's present, and he is the one performing this miracle. So it's a testimony to the resurrection of Jesus. We're also told that Peter told him to get up and take his mat with him. And as you might expect, as this happened, as this took place, news traveled fast. Miracle took place. This man that was paralyzed took up his bed and he just walked. And many people came to see. And we're told that many people turned to the Lord. And praise God that it wasn't about the instrument. And it's never about the instrument. It's, it wasn't about Peter. It's about the healing power of the risen Christ. And praise God that Peter was sensitive to the moving of the Holy Spirit. He was sensitive to the word of wisdom. He was sensitive for the gift of faith that God gave him, and he moved forward in faith, and God did an incredible miracle. 
Now, we're not certain how long that Peter spent in Lydda, but it had to be some time that Peter was ministering to the people, sharing the gospel, teaching the people in obedience to what Jesus had previously commanded him. Remember when Jesus restored him after his betrayal, he said to Peter, he said, Peter, you know, that whole sequence, do you love me, do you love me, do you love me? And he said, feed my lambs, feed my sheep, and feed my sheep. And this is exactly what Peter is doing in Lydda. And there's fruit. There's fruit. Verse 35 says, And all that dwelt at Lydda and Saron saw him and turned to the Lord. Praise God. Evidence of the movement of God's Holy Spirit in and through Peter. So from, from Lydda, Peter goes to Joppa. Joppa. Joppa is a beautiful seaport city on the shore of the Mediterranean Sea. We, should, we have a photo here that, that Tracy's going to bring up, or Joe's going to bring up. That is the, the Mediterranean Sea that you see there. When, when we took this photo when we were in Israel in 2017. And off to the left there, we see that little, little spire there or whatever. That is actually the, the city of Joppa, and it's a seaport city. Absolutely beautiful. Breathtaking. In fact, not this week, but well, I'm going to, Pastor Andrew's sharing next Sunday, but the Sunday after that, we're going to be talking about Simon the Tanner. That's where he lived. But it's also quite well known for another reason as well. Remember Jonah? God said to Jonah, go to Nineveh. And Jonah, in essence, said, no way. I'm going the opposite direction. And he picked up a ship where? In Joppa. That's where he picked it up. And then he went to Tarshish. Now, this is where the account shifts once again. We're introduced to a woman named Tabitha. That's her Aramaic name, translated Dorcas in Greek. And it tells us that she impacted the whole city. Both names are used. I'm going to use Tabitha. I like that one a little better. Dorcas sounds kind of odd. Because we have an English word we use, and it kind of... And I don't want to go there. So, so this, this Tabitha, she was a follower of Jesus, and she showed her faith by her works. Her head was full of cares, aimed at helping other people. She was full of good works, like a tree that is full of fruit. And many people are full of good work, words, but empty in good works. But Tabitha... Tabitha was a great doer. She didn't just talk about things, she did them. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7 says, Every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And that's a characteristic of a disciple of Christ and should characterize all disciples of Christ. John 15, 8, herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit, so shall you be my disciple. So that's, a, that's a, an evidence of a disciple of Jesus. There's, there's fruit. And in Tabitha's case, there's, there's fruit. We're going to see this in just a moment. And here's what it says in verses 36 through 39. Now there was at Joppa a certain disciple named Tabitha, which by interpretation is called Dorcas, this woman was full of good works and alms deeds, which she did. 
And it came to pass in those days that she was sick and died, whom when they had washed, they laid her in an upper chamber, and forasmuch as Lydda was nigh to Joppa, and the disciples had heard that Peter was there, they sent unto him two men, desiring him that he would not delay to come to them. So we're told here that Tabitha dies, and certainly we know that there's, there's a mourning that takes place. The family mourned, and verse 39 says that Peter arose and went with them. These are the two guys that, that, that tank to get him. When he was come, they brought him into the upper chamber. The upper chamber is where Tabitha is. And all the widows stood by him weeping and showing the coats and garments which Dorcas made while she was yet with them. So it's much broader than just family here. The entire city of Joppa mourned her death. They're overwhelmed with grief. And it tells here that all the widows were weeping. And the widows were considered among the poorest in that culture. The widows, widows were often overlooked, and they were certainly the most vulnerable. Now keep in mind that it was probably a day or two from the time the disciples called for Peter to the time of his arrival. And when he gets there, the women are still weeping. They're still mourning Tabitha's death a couple days later. So I would suggest that it's a very, very sad day, or sad days in Joppa. But how good is God? Someone heard that Peter was in Lydda, a day or two days journey, and perhaps they heard about the healing that had been done with the paralytic Aeneas. And they summoned Peter to bring him to Joppa thinking maybe, well, just maybe this Peter could do something here with Tabitha. Verse 38 said the two men desiring to come without delay, they did what they were asked. They went and got Peter, and Peter, upon arrival, he walked into the room where Tabitha's body was laid. Again, this room was full of widows weeping, coming up to Peter and showing Peter the clothing that they were wearing, clothing that Tabitha had made for them. Remember, the widows didn't have much. But here, they're, they're demonstrating to Peter, this is Tabitha, this is her work. She gave me these clothes, they're mine. Tabitha in her life worked so many of them, and it was a good work. That was Tabitha's ministry. In Isaiah chapter 58, verse 7, it says, Is it not to share your bread with the hungry, and that you bring to your house the poor who are cast out? When you see the naked, that you cover him, and hide not yourself from your own flesh. And then in James, that I just read earlier, once again, it says in chapter 2, what doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and not of works? Can that kind of faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, notwithstanding you give them not those things which are needful to the body, what does it profit? In other words, you see somebody needing, you say, Well, I'm just going to pray for you, and you walk away. You know, now prayers are good. But what James is saying, and James is so practical. He said, listen, if you see a need, then you really ought to do something about it. That's faith with works. But this Tabitha, what a wonderful woman, a virtuous woman. 
in the very scene here that we see, and it's hard to express what's taking place in this room, but I suggest to you that it was extremely emotional. These widows, they're brokenhearted. Again, not just family mourning, but so many others whom Tabitha had blessed. And Peter, he steps into this incredible scene, but doesn't end right there. Peter, he asked all the mourners to leave. It says in verse 40, but Peter put them all forth and kneeled down and prayed and turning him to the body said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes and when she saw Peter, she sat up. Peter said, would you excuse us, please? I need to talk to God. And he did. It says here that he prayed. He knelt down and prayed, and I'm sure he, he just wanted to hear from the Lord. He could have said, okay, everybody stick around. I'm going to show you how holy a man I am. I'm going to pray in front of you all. He said, no, you go. He was not seeking vain glory or praise. He didn't go there to be seen of men. Here's what he desired, and this is something we should desire too, desired solitude with God in order to pour his soul before God and to hear from God, God, what do you want me to do? And having received from God, he turned to the body and he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened up her eyes and she saw Peter. She sat on the side of the bed. It was no longer a deathbed, was it? No, she's alive. <coughs> Peter reached out his hand in order to help her up and when she was ready, Peter called the saints and widows. And can you imagine this scene? They're all outside, and Peter's inside this room with Tabitha. He speaks those words. Tabitha, arise. And she arose. And then he presented her to all the saints and widows. Can't imagine being there and looking. It's like, oh, Tabitha's alive. This woman so incredibly and deeply loved by everyone that was once dead, she now stood in front of them. And the news spread throughout all of Joppa, and many people believed in the Lord and were saved. You know, that, of course, that's the purpose of this miracle. But we notice in this account that Tabitha lived a life that impacted the entire city for the kingdom of God. Make no mistake, the Holy Spirit of God makes it very clear. She did what I believe that each of us would desire to do, to have an impact on a whole city. Why not? A whole neighborhood? Why not? Your, whole, your own household? Why not? Wherever we go? Why not? The question, however, is how did she do it? How was Tabitha able to impact the entire city? Well, she did it because she used the gifts the Lord had given to her. What was she able to do? She was able to sew and make clothing. There is a sweet ministry going on here. Women sowing seeds. They use the gifts to be a blessing. Now, when we consider Tabitha, there's no, no mention of her ever being able to perform miracles. There's no evidence here of her even teaching the scriptures, but what could she do? She could sow, and she blessed others. 
And you see how the Holy Spirit describes her again in verse 36. Full of good works and alms deeds, which she did. Charitable deeds. In the New Living Translation, that verse is described this way. There was a believer in Joppa named Tabitha, which in Greek, or Dorcas, which in Greek is Dorcas, excuse me, I miswrote that. She was always doing kind things for others and helping the poor. How was she able to reach the whole city? Well, it says that she was able to reach the entire city by doing good things for others and helping the poor. That was her lifestyle. And it says here that she always did those things. Why has the Holy Spirit included this account in the book of Acts? Is it it just a a feel-good story? I don't think so. Is it to exalt Tabitha? No, not, not at all. I believe it's here to remind us that in the midst of the miracles that we see here in the book of Acts, there is tremendous power and fruit in just doing good as God's people. The Bible speaks of this. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, it says, Take heed that you do not your alms before men to be seen of them. Otherwise, you have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward, but when thou doest alms, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth, that thine alms may be in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret himself shall reward thee openly." And I want to emphasize, Jesus said, when. He didn't say if. He said, when. So what this means to me, this ought to characterize us as Christians. Jesus also said this in Matthew 5, 16. He said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. It's It's not to glorify us. All glory goes to God. He's the giver of every good and perfect gift, isn't he? And the gifts that he's given us, we, do we squander those and just keep them to ourselves? No. We use those gifts to be a blessing to others. <coughs> Ephesians 2, verse 10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto what? Unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Now, when we look at the world today, and sometimes it's a, Hard thing to look at. But remember, we are, we are not citizens here. We're citizens of this country, but we are, our citizenship is in heaven. And we can pray, and we're, we ought to pray for the things that go on around us, you know, because we, we're, we're inviting God to have his way. But this plan that's taking place right now, it's not foreign to God. He sees it, he understands it. He allows things to take place because... It's been prophesied these things would take place. But when I look at the world, I want to say this, and I think you would agree with me, that the world is power hungry. That's how the world wants to influence the world, through power. There are those that exercise their monetary power and influence to purchase or buy the American public, to influence lawmakers, to get their plans into action, whether it be for good or for selfish purposes. 
There is power to influence the public in ways that squarely stand against the ways of the Lord. There are hired influence, influ, influencers, influencers, you know, people that influence others. They get paid to convince people to do something or buy something just because they're skilled at influencing people. And we can have a tendency to think, well, what can I do as a Christian? How can I impact others when I don't seem to have that powerful, influential kind of life? But you know, today's world says you have to be powerful to exert power. You have to be influential in the ways of the world in order to influence the world. But you know what? As I read this section of Scripture, the beautiful thing about Tabitha is that she corrects this kind of thinking. What did she do? She was always doing this kind of thinking to help others, to help the poor, to reach out and to bless. And you know what, family? Good works by a Christian will always impact others. Always. God sees to it. God will make sure of that. Why? Because it's in obedience to what he is asking. And again, it's not about us. The only part of us is to obey. The results are his. And he, he will make sure that there's an impact. You know, Paul the Apostle said in, in the book of Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. Nothing. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Sometimes that's not so easy to do, is it? It can be difficult. Jesus said, if you do these things for any other reason than for my glory, if you do them to be noticed by others, to be seen by others, then you'll have your reward. And certainly others will see your good works, but that can't be our motivation. You know, we don't do it. We don't do what we do to get our name out there, do we? No, we, we ought not. We don't do what we do through good deeds and good acts and generosity, whatever it might be, to get our name on a building. We do it for the glory of God, to get his name out there so that others will come to Christ. And you see, family, people don't forget a good work or an act of kindness. They don't forget those things. They may reject a sermon, they may forget all about it. They may reject the gospel. They may not give a second thought to anything that we say, but they will never forget a good deed or a kind act. There is power in that, especially in a person that has need or in a place of vulnerability. Now, can you think of a time when a person went out of their way to help you or extended kindness to you? I'm sure you can. Or can you think of a time when a person just wanted to be there for you to help you in some way, and, and, and you said, no, thank you. Listen, please, allow them. Allow them to do what God has placed on their heart to do. And honestly, I'm so guilty of saying, oh, I can do it. I've said it to many of you, I'm sure. Dan, can I help you? No, I got it. I'll take care of it. But think about this. Am I standing against someone's heart whose heart is, I'm just doing this in the name of Jesus. 
So many of us might reject it. I'm on top of that list. I got to tell you. If someone wants to bless you, allow them the blessing of blessing you. Perhaps they've been dispatched by God's Holy Spirit to be there for you. And you turn them down. What does that do? Discourages them. Discourage them from doing what Jesus asked them to do. You see, we need to be giving people, yes, but we need to be receiving people also. We need to be receiving people. For with every giver, there ought to be a receiver, right? Remember, Jesus said, when you do a good work for someone, listen, don't discourage those whens when someone is instructed by God to do something. And don't ever underestimate the power of a kind act or helping hand in time of need or a time when you just want to bless someone. It's powerful. Tabitha shows us that here. And how can we do it? Well, it could be a card dropped in the mail. It says, you know, I, I'm just thinking of you. I'm not sure why God put you on my heart, but I'm praying for you. There's countless ways to bless and to be a blessing. And you know, we can get so hardened sometimes, we can become so accustomed to seeing the effects of wrongdoing or hurtful actions that we can forget about the effects of our good works. If you're there or have been there or you're going to be there, think about Tabitha. She just went about doing what she did without a second thought. She had no clue that her life would infect an entire city for God. You see, no one gets to attend their own funeral and hear the things that are said. And you may never understand the impact you're having on the lives of others by your good works, your kind actions, encouraging, encouraging words. And you know what? That's okay. You don't need to hear about it. I don't need to hear about it. Why? Pride. Pride. I don't want to be prideful. I got plenty of that. I don't need more. Have you ever heard a person say something to you and you said, you know what, I, I really needed to hear that today. Thank you. I, I needed that word. Or you said something to someone that God put on your heart to say and they said, I needed to hear you to, that from you today. Thank you. You know, when God places somebody on your heart, Remember, it's God that places somebody on your heart. Amen. And we can sometimes discard it as, that's just an errant thought, right? But go back to God and say, God, did you place that there? If you did, I just want to respond somehow. Maybe it's just to pray. Send a text message, a phone, whatever it might be, a phone call, an email, a card. We want to be obedient to that. You know, Tabitha, she delivered a very powerful message from the pages of Scripture of how the kingdom of God was impacted. And if you removed Tabitha from this account, I would suggest that Joppa would have been a very, very different city. You can never have too many Tabithas for the sake of the gospel and the kingdom of God. We can never underestimate 
the power of doing good. John Wesley, he said this, do all the good you can by all the means you can in all the ways you can in all the places you can at all the times you can to all the people you can as long as you ever can. It's true. And I believe it's time right now. What a, what a ripe time this is, isn't it? To be able to reach out like a Tabitha. To bless somebody somehow, some way. And I think it might be appropriate for us to just take a few minutes now. Just to be quiet. And ask the Holy Spirit of God to show us if we're living a life full of doing kind things for others and helping those in need. Let's just take a couple minutes, quiet, and listen for God's Spirit. Maybe He's going to place somebody on your heart. Or maybe He's going to place you on your heart. <laughs> maybe He's going to say to me, Dan, you know what? you got to step it up here. And I'm okay with that. Because I already know it. Because God's already shown me. Let's just take a minute now. Thank you, Lord. You know, questions come to my mind like, when was the last time that I did something for someone that represented a sacrifice on my part? Or it was an inconvenience for me? Yikes. There's so many ways to do this, and it may have nothing to do monetarily. It could just be time spent, calls made, cards sent, somebody on your heart, put something on your heart to give to somebody. I, I don't know, but God does. You know, I don't personally want to be conformed to the selfishness of this culture. And let me say, my flesh is very willing to be conformed to selfishness. Lord, help me to have the eyesight. Help me to have the heart sight. To see the needs or how I might be able to bless someone. And you know, there, there's people in my life that I would say are absolutely Tabithas. That give and give and give in many, many different ways. And I'd suggest that this is very important to Jesus. The question is, is it important to me? Is this important to me? 
And realize, family, that this is certainly not a number one. It's not a message of condemnation. This is, this is something that can be very challenging, yet so good. She impacted an entire city. And she didn't have any money. She had some thread. She had some fabric. She had some needles. She sewed and sewed and sewed and said, here. And when she sewed, there was fruit. You and I can make a difference. In her sowing, she sowed seeds. We can do the same. Somehow, some way. And Father, I thank you for this account in the scriptures. Lord, certainly one that, that I need to hear. But I don't want to be just a, a hearer of the word. I want to be a doer. And help, help me, help us as your body, as your people. And you've given us so many gifts, and you've given every one of us gifts, at least one gift. And I pray, Lord, we would take that and ask you, God, show me how I might use this for your glory and to be a blessing to others that, that I might have an impact to the people around me. I'm so grateful for those in, in, in my life, in our lives, that have been such an incredible blessing. So many. I've seen fruit in this body. I've seen love. I've seen care. I've seen male and female Tabithas, Lord, just doing your work, and it's glorious. I pray you would encourage them today to keep on keeping on, not to become discouraged. We don't need to see results, Lord. The results belong to you. And I'm so thankful that when I think of, of Jesus Christ, talk about a giver, giving his life for us the ultimate gift, his life freely given to us that we might live, that we might be forgiven of our sin. And Lord, there's, the scriptures are so clear, there is no other way than by Jesus. Jesus, you said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no, no man cometh to the Father except by me. You're so willing, so, so ready to give the gift of life to those that ask. And Lord, I do pray, Lord, today that if there's any here this morning or perhaps listening online later that haven't yet received Christ, may today be the day when they just bow their knee before you and just say, I need you. I need you, Lord. I need to know you love me. I need to know that you care. And I know you'll show. I know you'll demonstrate, you've demonstrated that, and you want to give life. I pray that each and every one of us would just bow before you, Lord, and, and ask for your help or ask for salvation, whatever it might be, forgiveness of sin, strengthening by the Spirit of God, 
a word of wisdom or a word of knowledge in, in some way, Lord, that will impact your kingdom. And then to walk in obedience to what it is that you would share with us. Help us to do this, please. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We're going to share the Lord's table now. And, and praise God that he has given us this incredibly beautiful ordinance. And, you know, as we, we talk about, you know, the, the work of taking...